This week on Intrigued, Full Effect. I went to this woman and I said, listen, I know I've been begging you like, you know, are you my mom? Not my mom. Where's my birth certificate? I've never seen it. And she would always be so abrasive. You know, F you, screw you. You know, you know, I'll go to my grave before you ever know anything. There are certain parts of me that's going to hurt forever. Like I've lost times that I would have spent with a real mother, a hug from a real dad or sister or cousin, regardless of the circumstances. I'm Shandrea Thomas, and welcome to episode 20. In this podcast, I talk about curious cases, disappearances, and other stuff. And today I'm talking about a case that fits every single category of my podcast. This is the first time this has ever happened. It's about a woman who was raised under the name of Monique Smith, but she says that's not her real name and that she was abducted from her real family in New York as an infant and was raised by a woman in Baltimore who has no blood connection to her. Monique has been known as the oldest living Jane Doe, and she's now in her 50s and has been searching for her real family for over 20 years. And as of September 16th of this year, she believes that she has finally found them. Whew. There's a lot to this story, and my conversation with Monique about all of this is pretty deep. Also, a side note is, you'll hear the names Monique and Simbole in the podcast, but they are the same person. Monique hasn't officially changed her name yet, but says that her real name is Simbole Conyers, formerly known as Monique Smith. Now, did you get all of that? Another note is, I won't name the woman who's now in her 70s who raised Monique because she has not been charged with a crime in the case. I spoke to Monique, and I've also reached out to investigators with Maryland State Police about the case. This is what happened when I spoke to Monique about her search in late August and the amazing and incredible development on where her life and her search for her family stands right now. Monique Smith, you are the longest living Jane Doe. Now, you're from, you live in Baltimore, Maryland, right? Yes, I do. Okay, I know your story is so unique and there's so many layers to it. So let's just see if we can kind of go through the process of everything that's happened to you in your life so people can get a perspective of exactly what went on, how how you came to be where you are right now, and where you plan to move in the future. Tell me about your life growing up. When did you realize that something was wrong? What was your childhood like? Um, well, I, I probably um, had signs that as a child, you would never pick up. So there were things that were occurring in my life. Um, again, that as, as a, as a child, you would never, you would never pick that up. But, you know, as a teenager, I, I, again, it was just weird that I wasn't able to participate and do a lot of the things that other um, kids my age were doing. And I can give you a quick example of, you know, um, you know, when a driver's license, you know, a driver's ed in your high school and you have an opportunity to go through the program and you get your permit. Well, of course, it requires a birth certificate. And I would ask for the birth certificate. and I never got it. But I already knew um, because other incidents came up with needing my birth certificate that I never saw it even, you know, in high school during those times. So there, again, were incidences that, you know, as a as a minor young adult, you would just never think of what had happened to me, uh, was happening to me until I became an adult. And that's, that kind of what kind of blew everything into the realness of uh, my my day-to-day reality. And actually, I'm going to step back and kind of go back from, from the beginning as far as I can. 
What do you know about when you were born? Do you have a range, your name, any idea of what's where that is in your life? Well, currently um, my range is I'm assumed that I was born in either 1965, 1966, or 1967. And that range came from the documentation that I was able to gather from several municipals, you know, because in order for me to have gone to school, get a social security number, forms, you know, had to be filled out. So me having individuals go through the archives and, and basements and dust off the boxes for them to give me, um, you know, copies of, of the microfiche and the applications came in, it was just inconsistencies everywhere. You know, the dates of birth were different. My name was totally different. Um, like you're calling me Monique Smith today. I have documentation that said my name was Monica. Um, and again, I, I was at the assumed age of 30, 29 or 30, when I was in possession of those documents. So that was a long gap um, that, you know, I lived without even knowing that it was just so wrong and, you know, just falsified. Mm-hmm. So tell me about this woman who was raising you. Were you the only child that she had, the only child in the house? What was that whole experience like? Yes, yes. I was the only the only child. Um, so there were no, um, you know, assumed siblings or, you know, I don't think she could conceive. I, I later found out, and again, this is, you know, assumption, uh, speculations that she could not conceive, but I know that she never had children. So yes, I was raised as the only child and it was a horrible living. I think um, the attempt of keeping me hidden, you know, staying in the house, really not doing much, um, only going to school, going to work when I got to uh, work age. And of course that was horrible because, you know, it went back to them keeping all of the monies and, you know, the abusive behavior just continue, continue to increase um, until I was able to escape um, later on in life. What's interesting about all of this is so this woman either bought you from someone or stole you from someone. And then you're saying like when she got you right, you weren't even treated right, which is so crazy, you know? Yes, that's the bizarre part. And I think, you know, it's, it's so sad that um, her family members obviously knew what she had did and they took advantage of that. Like I was I was molested, raped um, as early as the age of four and five like that. And it just didn't dawn on me what, what's normal as children being abused. And you hear the stories in foster care. You hear these stories of other sexually abused um, victims, now survivors is, you know, you're frightened, you're scared. They threaten your life. And when you're you know, enduring that kind of pain and someone says, I'm going to kill you if you tell, well, you don't tell, you know, you, you live through that repeatedly, um, for years. So yes, it was horrible. And, um, she just never, ever did anything. There was no love. There was no bond. There was no mother, daughter, you know, picnics and tea parties. It was just, I stayed in a home. I went to school, stayed in a home. I went to school. And when it came time to work, I stayed home, went to school, work, gave it a check. Stayed in the house, went to school, you know, work, gave it a check. So when it came to her side of the family, when you started digging into all this information, did anyone ever say anything to you about your origins at at, at any point? Oh, yep, yep. Um, That happened later in life. So in 2009, I had a, a really bizarre experience. And um, I was a graduate of Webb here in Baltimore. It's uh, the Women's Entrepreneurs of Baltimore. And that's when all this came about. So when the documentation came back with the inconsistency, I went to the people whom I 
called aunt and uncle and cousin, you know, and that's when little bit by little bit they were revealing things like, oh, oh, well, I heard something I really didn't know. Of course, by that time, I'm, I'm 30 years, you know, into this. No one said anything. So had I not said anything, why? No one said anything. Um, other relatives will say, well, you, you know, I didn't say anything to you because, you know, you weren't my niece anyway. Who cares? Or she just showed up with you one day. So that's when it was just, you know, was either black ball, black sheep, you know, the dark secret of the family. Like everyone knew that this woman had acquired these from somewhere and they didn't know where because she there was a disconnect in their family um, based on the story that I heard. She had ran away from her home at the age of either 12 or 13 from the Carolinas and no one knew where she went. And when they saw her again, she was by that time 22 or 23 with a baby with this kid. So at one point they just assumed that she did give birth to me, but she stayed for like less than a week. Mind you, you run away from 12 or 13, but you reconnect with your family around 22, 23 with a baby, but then you vanish again for two years. So she left me in Baltimore with her mom and she vanishes again out of state each time. So this is why no one physically knows where she was. I mean, where her physical um, presence were both times she went absent. Wow, this is kind of wild that there's so many bits and pieces to this. So, you know, I'm very curious. So tell me about this person who raised you do you call her your mother what do you how do you refer to her tell me about her and your dynamic in relationship with her and what she's not telling you right now okay so basically there was never a relationship never ever 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 like I can never say to anyone that I have this phenomenal mom this bond there's never been a bond it was almost like you know I was in um, a vacuum cleaner and, you know, there was no connection. I mean, there was absolutely nothing. Like, again, I just, I was basically her personal slave. I would cook, I would clean, I would do her hair. I would, you know, do chores. Um, I would work real jobs. Like I was working real employee jobs with ID and social security number physically at the age of 10, 11. And I have all concrete information about, you know, what happened to me. And, you know, we, we never connected. And what happened when I discovered it is I confronted her because I realized I have no one's sister, no one's niece, no one's daughter, no one's cousin. At the moment that I have one title, I'm, well, two, I'm a child of God, but I have one title and I'm a mother of four. But at the time I was the mother of two and I couldn't prove who I was for my kids. My children, my one son had a chance to go to study mixed martial arts. And, and I went to this woman and I said, listen, I know I've been begging you, like, you know, are you my mom? Not my mom. Where's my birth certificate? I've never seen it. And she would always be so abrasive, you know, F you, screw you. You know, you know, I'll go to my grave before you ever know anything. You know, she would just adamantly be, be strong about not telling me. And I said, for the life of me, I can't even prove that my children are my children. So I can't even get a death certificate. It, it requires a birth certificate. I can't even die right. Um, so it was never a bond. And at that time when I, I, I was pleading with her, like, okay, I don't know what happened. Give me the horror story. You know, did your father rape you? And I'm a product of that. Did your brothers molest you? And I don't care what the story is. Tell me something. And she's totally shut down. And that was back in 2009. 
Um, so wh- where is she now? I mean, I, I have no idea. I do not communicate. I know she's 75. I do know she's still alive. I know she's still in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, but I do not talk to her, communicate with her whatsoever. Um, and the family now knows. So I wrote a book because I felt that no one had did for me like the other cases that we hear. There weren't organizations um, out in the 60s. So, you know, me going to New York and Ohio, I went to everywhere that the fake papers said, and that was probably crazy because <laughs> they were fake papers, but to try to find out, did I really exist? I spent thousands of dollars on detectives and private investigators, um, you know, all of the um, uh, municipals filing fee. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm looking for Monique Smith. Duh. Like, this is a fictitious name. Like, I, I, it, it, it spiraled out of control. I had already lost so much money trying to keep my sanity together to raise my children. Um, and it just, it kept escalating. And so going to organizations and, you know, like FBI, the police department, how do you walk into these agencies and say to them that you have this horrific story and you, you, you don't have proof? Like, they don't get it. Like, it, it has taken the most two recent popular cases for now everyone to get the aha moment that the parents who have been doing searches for their missing children, mothers and fathers who did the right thing by notifying the authorities, getting a police report, contacting the National Center for Supported Children, giving out the pictures, you know, so they could actually blanket the country with, you know, where's this missing child? You know, it it just wasn't in the cards for me because this happened to me in the 60s. But thank God that they're coming forward now because now it kind of ties in to like that happened to me. And I'm trying to tell the world that all missing kids aren't dead. They may assume that I'm dead. And I try to, you know, tell this woman that in 2009 when she again shut me down from telling me how did she acquire me? Where did she acquire me from? So it's it's really been I, I thank goodness I haven't been re-traumatized over the years because it it deep in my core I have overcome but the pain. Well, here's something that's interesting. Um, as far as your the woman who acquired you, I'm trying to figure out the best way to refer to her. Um, ha, um, have you do you mention her name? Do you say her name? Do you is her name really her name? I mean, have you investigated her to find out? who her friends are, who her people are truly, and where she really was at the time. Have you ever been able to track anything of her? Nothing whatsoever. Now, law enforcement, which I can't share, um, the state of Maryland, I can share that there is a legal binding, like a police report filed. And they. this is what was um, some of the newer processes that I was able to um, do recently and that they have it because she too is an alias. So yes, she has multiple names and they can't release to me all of it yet until they are, you know, come to a full, I guess, investigation. But, you know, I'm, I'm I could die a nobody waiting for everyone to figure out this this rare situation that there's nothing to model again. No, I'm just saying. So I'm just like her family. Were they her real family? I mean, I'm thinking all this stuff now. These real people who are really related to her. Well, the, here's the good part. Here's the great part. So one of her uh, siblings, her brother was devastated. When I wrote the book, I Am the Ancestor Before I Die, I'm going to share my story. He read the book. The whole family read the book. And they knew. And I looked at them all and I said, you played a role in this. Like, no one said anything. Everyone turned a blind eye. I was beat with bats, bricks. I mean, I didn't even get the pleasure of the whip 
and the switches from the trees and the, I would have taken an extension cords, two by fours. I mean, come on, like the abuse that I endured as a child um, is is bizarre. And if he just felt so compelled, like I was blind, I, I never knew anything about this. And two things that he did share with me, he said, oh, my God, when she showed up with you and we said, what, you had a baby? no. Well, who's this? Who's this baby? Well, she made an attempt to say my name, and it probably took him eight to ten times of her attempting to say my name. So he wrote many, like in in the pronunciation in which she was saying it, until one of the one of the names matched what she was trying to say. So he, and he said it didn't dawn on me. He said, "Really, I'm not I'm not kidding you." When when she kept saying it, she was like Simbali, Simbuli, Simbali, you know, and I wrote down S Y S I S E S C, and that's how we derived that giving you your first name. But I, I, but that was when you were two or three, and I it still didn't make sense to me until you did your book, and because he's biologically um, related, they share the same biological parents, mother and father. He gave he went to the police department with me. Um, here in Maryland, and they did his DNA and my DNA. And when Namus did that, they put it in the database, and it reflected. It came back because they both share mother father. We're night. We're no. There's no kinship, none whatsoever. We're zero point zero zero zero. That then allowed me to be inside of Namus. I mean, I'm sorry, from Namus to the National Center of Mixing Exploited Children, and they ID'd me one two zero one two nine eight. So again, I've been, so when you're asking me what have I done, <laughs> I've done so much. Like, and I continue to do it because I just I'm, I don't re, I just don't want to die um, a nobody, and I'm I'm gonna go out full out until someone recognizes me. Until someone says, I remember a story of a little girl that went missing or was stolen in a shopping cart in a park or a museum or mm-hmm. off her front porch out of a crib. Until my story matches the family member that's out there that's looking for me yeah and the time frame too do you think that you were stolen do you think that she bought you what do you think happened i i think whatever happened it was horrific i think what happened it there you know we we as mankind um there there has to be one person that has some part in their heart uh, that knew that family associated to that family and for her to say she'll go to her grave like and no one know anything and the amount of abuse that was done by her other brothers, you know, because they, they knew they had her by the collar. Like, you can't even tell on me that I'm raping, you know, the six, seven, eight year old girl. Like, you know, I, I, you can't, what are you going to do? Tell if I go to jail, you going to jail. That's how I, in my core soul, I know that this woman did something very horrific and I, with how she acquired me. So let, let me get to this part of it, because I know you've talked about the abuse and all of that. How have you been able to manage that? Have you had counseling throughout the years? How do you manage dealing with everything that's happened to you on top of you trying to figure out exactly who you are? How do you process that? You know, it was, I can only thank my creator because the more I look at like my timeline, I should have been psychologically unbalanced. (laughs) Like I I know in my heart, my spirit, the one thing I wanted to be was a mom. Like, I don't know if that's one of those situations where, you know, you feel like I'm going to be a better mom than my mom. I'm going to be a better dad than my father was, you know, and I, and I think maybe because I yearned for 
a relationship or a mom. My my goal was I only I didn't want to be a physician. I didn't want to work as an attorney. I only wanted to be a mom. And God blessed me with four children. And because I was so focused on being a decent human being, I refused to be evil and inflict pain on man, you know, or harm on another human's life. Um, I was just it just it's surviving. I mean, and we hear the horrible term when you hear about runaway children who are abducted, forced into human trafficking. You, I'm sure, have heard of survival sex. So to me, living the life that I had to live to acquire jobs and, and other opportunities to become an author, to me, it was it's survival. If 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 I die, what do I do with my children now? I, if, right now, I can't even tell them that we have land in Texas or we have good hair because we have, you know, Indian in us. You know, there's I'm I have to live this life in its entirety the way God has given me this assignment until it until the end. So that's mm-hmm. that's the hunger. That's the passion. That's the drive. And I just refuse to have my tombstone say, you know, you know, here lies nobody you know that's not my goal I just know that there's hope I want to let the world know that every single long-term missing child that people think that's dead we're here we are alive it's hard Mm -hmm. to say you know we're living beyond the milk carton (laughs) you know this is life beyond the milk carton um for a cold case they're a detective that I've been working with um, and they see me and they hear my case and they, they study it and they go, you know what, I, you've given me new hope. And that's the goal. Well, you are certainly somebody for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and just just so I'm clear, getting clarity on this, too. Exactly. How long have you been searching for your identity? So did this started back in 2006? Exactly. Or was it at what point did you say? I don't know who I am right now. It started um, when, once I graduated from the web program, again, then trying to become an entrepreneur. I had to be licensed and bonded. It required a background check. And again, it was invalid. And that's when I really sat down. So it actually started in 1996. Um, and, and you, uh, So you were like somewhere in your 20s or something like that? Yes, yes. Give yes. or take? Okay, mid-20s. Okay. Um, do you have any idea or clue or speculation as to where you may have come from? No. And, and again, um, that's the unfortunate part is when people say, well, have you tried this? And have you tried that? So yes, I'm in ancestry.com. Yes, I'm in 23andMe. Yes, I'm in NamUs. Yes, I'm in the National Cinemas for Children. And, you know, it, that's the difficult part because the paperwork was so um, wrong. It was falsified. You know, I, th- th- those states that she referenced, you know, were uh, just states that probably popped out of her head. I mean, I'm walking around with raised sealed documents from one of the state, which was New York, that says, please don't come back. We- we- we've checked every year that you've given us, every name that you've given us, every date of birth, and there's nothing. I went to the police department. I have the detective's name, police officers, the bureau, the captain's name. And, and it, even when it shifted, you know, when Manhattan and Brooklyn and Queen, when they all shifted their bureaus and the, the police, you know, the district switched and they, they look for any news articles, clippings, police reports about a missing child, an abducted child. And again, I, it just tore me apart that I was I was chasing not, the darkness because it was mm-hmm. fake. It was fake. But, I, you know, until I had to pull myself together and say, you're 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 searching for 
you know, a, a phantom, basically. <laughs> There's nothing, that person doesn't exist. Right. So I'm going to ask you something uh, really quickly, and then we'll move on to another phase of this. So I want to ask you um, about your kids. I remember researching your story and you saying something about like how you've always had really good health. You haven't really had any things go, you know, go on health wise and things like that. Um, Tell me about that. And then when it comes to your kids now, I mean, so they know who their father is. They know who their mother is to a certain degree, right? I mean, they know yeah. that you're their mother. Um, so h- how do you how do you navigate that with your kids? Well, the good part about it is I would love to meet my biological family because their genes must be on point. Like I stand, um, I'm either 52, 53, or 54. Um, I've never had sinuses. I've never had a headache. I've never had a menstrual cramp. Like I have no diabetes and no hypertension, nothing, like absolutely nothing. And, you know, my kids all had perfect attendance, like their entire school year. Like you, you know, they too do not have anything. I know at one point, unbeknownst, they didn't know that I was constantly getting them checked twice, you know, as they were growing up because I did not have history to tell them, you know, um, you know, when we have, um, cancer in our family, you know, we have alopecia in our family. So to me, just to ensure my role as to making sure that they didn't have anything that, you know, we couldn't take care of early. So that was important to me. Um, now that they do know it was a challenge, um, you know, because, you know, I was the mother, the father, the sister, the brother, I was trying to be that mom for them as their family. And when the book came out, my one son said, Oh my gosh. He said, is that why we never have family reunions? He goes, that's why we never get long distance phone calls like now. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it was even an aha moment that in 2009, because I gave them a choice. They were young. Did they want to use their real name in the book? Don't use the name. Um, how would they feel like that into adulthood? So I, I helped them help me with some of the decisions because again, it's it's their it's they now are a part of this legacy. There, this is going to be our time capsule. This is our story. This is it. This is the the ancestry that that I have to give my kids is this story that we have no connection on my side of the family. So let's get into how you can actually survive and make a living. I mean. From the standpoint of, you know, getting ID, getting a real ID, because you can't fly anywhere without a real ID come next October. So what has that process been been like for you? And how are you how do you function now? You know, I'm sure people are like, how do you file your taxes? How do you function? You know what I mean? Like, how, how does all that work for you? Well, without crying, because I swear to God, since started, as soon as you talked about that, like, I don't care that people say, you know, oh, you're not over it. You're not over it you know, I'm, there are certain parts of me that's going to hurt for forever. Like I've lost time that I would have spent with a real mother, a hug from a real dad or a sister or cousin, regardless of the circumstances. When this first happened to me, when I knew that my, my documentation were all false, you know, I was already working at very prestigious uh, companies. And I knew that what I had presented to them at the time were what was presented to me and I guess you know it it kind of filtered through um the process and um I was able to now here's one weird story and I got to tell you this to make some of this make sense so um in 1985 I was in Hartford Connecticut and it was an application that went out for police when the application went out I went and applied it was for a cadet and I passed 
it did require ID. I just, I passed. You get the application, they call you back and they tell you you have an exam. You take the exam and I passed. They take you back. And then a month later, they tell you to come for a physical. Oh, I was very strong and I went through the physical and I passed. Then it was time for the actual academy to start. And I'm calling around, I'm calling her. At that time, I didn't know all of this. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just, you know, I got a job. I'm in the academy. I need my birth certificate. You know, they're going to need to finalize my, my, my documentation so I can get into this academy. And again, she's using profanity. You know, I'm in Connecticut. She's still in Maryland. And I just go to the academy. This is how God has laid my path for me. There were several candidates that did not have driver's license. They put us in a bus. We went to motor vehicles. We took the test. They took my photo, took a picture. <laughs> and I got my driver's license. That's how I was able... Now, the sad part about it is, as the course was going on, the, the portfolios were being reassessed. And, of course, my birth certificate was missing, and I was confronted that, again, I had to leave the academy. So it, it wasn't a surprise to me because, again, I just shared with you about not being able to get my driver's license when I was in high school because I never produced a birth certificate. So I figured eventually, because they were asking, I was just riding the bandwagon. So the driver's license from Connecticut, afforded me the opportunity to open up a bank account. You know, no one asked for a birth certificate. It allowed me to get a job. Now where it became a problem was, is again, when my son had to go somewhere, I couldn't prove my kids with my kids. My insurance policies would not work because you have to have a birth certificate to get a death certificate. I can't get a passport to travel the country or to leave the country um, because I don't have a birth certificate. So now, like you say, with Berlin, the new smart IDs, and this is all because of 9-11, identity theft. People are tightening down on on that piece. I have to now do what? Attempt to um, um, attempt to manipulate processes that will afford me to live a life of normalcy, which means I have to represent the paperwork that says I don't exist, that it's the fake me um, to live my real life. <laughs> that makes sense. Wow. <laughs> so so. So basically, is that what the police tell you to do? I mean, is that what a, the Social Security, like who tells you to? That is just. No. Yeah. Well, if I go to the Department of Motor Vehicles and I need my license and they tell me what to bring, I bring them what paperwork I got. And it's, they choose whether or not to accept it or, or decline, you know, decline the documentation. So right now I'm currently pending because my driver's license expired. I submitted my information and my driver's license now is currently pending whether or not I'm going to get you know, they're going to use it, which is really sad because the, the Merlin ID, this is this is what's sad about it. The Merlin Smart ID is designed, it's set up so people can have their proper documentation validated. So if, 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 if I'm given, if I'm given a driver's license, what does that say for that process? If, when you're talking about immigration, when you're talking about 9-11, when you're talking about identity theft, What's going to happen? Because that means that I'm still riding on, you know, fake paperwork, a false identity. And that that's a constant, a constant struggle and constant reminder of your situation. It's going to wow. forever be a constant reminder because, you know, again, when I die, my kids still won't have a legal name. They'll know me as a mom. They'll know me as their ancestor but they won't we won't know our lineage we won't know that part 
And that that's what hurts, I think, the most is that. And I'm hoping I'm doing my ancestors proud. <laughs> well, you know what? Hey, it's not over just yet now. You still got some time. Uh-huh. And yeah, you said you got yeah. good genes, so hey, you know you still have some. You still have some time here. So wait a minute. Yes, <laughs> yes I. I mean, we I still make this thing happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that your your DNA is in is on Ancestor.com, 23andMe, yep. the National Center for Missing and Exploited yep. Children, and NamUs. Yep. And so through all of those things, you are never able to match with anyone. Can I ask you a quick question? You won't be offended. Sure. Are you in Ancestors.com? No. Boom. Thank you very much. I love you already. See, this is my struggle. So when the population, when I'm doing the interviews or, or someone's, um, I'm having a, a meet and greet about, you know, being an author and people say, oh my God, you know, you should be at ancestors.com. If, if the population are, are not in there, if the numbers are not high, then I'm not going to match. It's, it's not, I'm not going to mm-hmm. match. So, right. So that's, what's taken a lot of people, you know, so a long time and people are building the trees. They're building the trees because if I put my DNA in ancestry.com and I get my four children to put it in, of course, we're, we're going to match because I have me and my four children inside the program. I would have to continue. We would have to continue to ask every family member to get your, your information in there. And your prime example, people will ask me, how come you're not in ancestry.com? I am. I haven't had a ding. It would take the world, billions of people to be in there. Like right now, it takes me way back to Congo. <laughs> I don't want to go that far just yet. It's not, <laughs> I don't want to go there. As a matter of fact, it's unfortunate. No birth certificate, I can't even go to Congo. <laughs> mm-hmm. When it comes to your everyday life, do you have a regular job? You go through your process of life just normally? And- yes. I, you know, I, that, that's the good part about it. Um, the, the, the only thing that was scary is, is, um, like the financial institutions, you know, if it, if it gets to a point like, um, well, cause one day one lady saw me, she goes, Oh my gosh, I saw you in the news when Amanda Berry was out there and, you know, they came to your house and they did this big interview. And I'm thinking to myself, I hope she doesn't put two and two together when I do my bank account, because, you know, I gave her that same fake idea, like, Oh my gosh. Um, so there are, there are panics and there are scares um, like that. But, you know, I have a job. Fortunately for me, I work for a company who I, you know, at the time I gave my driver's license. They're not questioning anything. They don't have a problem with it. I've been there for 15 years. Um, I don't know what's going to happen when I retire. Like if, if I see God see fit to allow me to see 62 and 65, I'm going to look at the same agencies that gave me this number. You cannot possibly question me about giving me my benefits when you produce the number. Wow. And that's something that you have to think about. That's just, wow. It's just kind of hanging, you know, that's just, mm. yes, yes. You have been able to take your situation and you've been able to help other people as well. Tell me about how you've been able to do that and what are you doing? Well, um, broken and broken. Um, I, I haven't been broken. Um, like I said, I think God set me free before I knew I was free, where I didn't go into depression, become, you know, drinking and substance abuse and, you know, the physical abuse. It didn't allow me to um, not trust people and not, you know, love on people. I think my desire as a child to still want to see, you know, good in me towards other people um, was so important to me. Um, and so when I wrote the book, the book was designed to proceed should help 
recovery efforts. And um, my very first check, I was very proud that I wrote to John Walsh himself for $5,000. And it was to the National Center of Exploited Children. But there were two agencies in the city of Baltimore that also supported um uh, you know, young adults, runaways, any anyone who would be involved in it. I didn't see missing children. Like I didn't see um, the families, but helping the agency so that that supported that made sense to me. So after that, I'm like, you know what? Let me get a little more hands on. So there were local programs um, that I volunteered for, was on the board, raised money for. I'm probably I know for a fact that I'm at about $60,000 raised from speaking engagements and the book sales and regular donations and corporate, corporate entities that would write checks directly to the charities that I was supporting, which was that, that was the, the, that was the best thing to me, you know, helping the people that I knew that are looking for me, you know, throwing out the awareness. And because of it, I was able to convert my story. The key is, is converting the awareness into actionable steps that's going to save a child, prevent it from happening to someone else, reunite a family. And that's where the money's, that's where the money's have gone to over the years. And, you know, that's something I can also share with my children that we were able to do. We turned this, you know, horrible story into a means of helping where we could. And if I could be of hope, and I don't want to say false hope because I never want people to feel like, oh, you know, she's telling me that I've been looking for my daughter, my son for 40 years. and He's still alive. That's not the message. It's more or less that he, I know for a fact that that I was stolen, abducted, taken, sold, purchased, bought, whatever you want to call it. And I'm still alive, unidentifiable. And there's one person, two people, someone out there in this universe looking for me and I'm grateful for having the opportunity to raise the awareness and be also be able to uh, provide funds to support some of the programs. What would you say to, I have two questions that well, a couple more, but what would you <laughs> say to the woman who acquired you? I'm going to say it that way again, because you seem to be good with that. Um, <laughs> what would you say to her <laughs> about what's happened? If you well, can sit can... down with her w- without any friction and point blank ask her questions, or if there's something that you really want to say to her about your entire life and the impact of everything that's happened in your life, what would you say? I think I've already said it. So the one time I sat, and I didn't sit, I was on the phone. It was the date that all the paperwork kind of came in and the reality of all of the lies that she had told me over the years that, you know, how she got me, where I came from, you know, this, this whole thing that she created in her mind. And I said to her, you know, don't let me die without knowing. And she said to me, and I basically was begging her, you know, don't let me not be a mom to my kids. And I was begging her. And she still said to me at my weakest moment in my whole existence, and she said, I will go to my grave, you know, never telling you ever. Um, So that would be the the one thing that I did say to her when I had an opportunity. And then one other time it presented herself, um, uh, herself to me with another situation right before I just totally disconnected. And the last thing that I recall saying to her was if at all possible, you know, if there is going to be something that you could do, if you can leave it in a safe deposit box or hope test, um, any note, or any statement you'd like to make 
That way, if you never want to tell me yourself, um, you could at least, you know, you could take it in your soul to your grave. But if you get write it <laughs> down, I would greatly appreciate it. So I've already, I already did exactly what you're asking. So I don't think if she was seen, if someone connected us today, I would just represent those two things to her. Say the name of the title of the book. Yes, it's called I Am the Ancestor. Before I die, I'm going to share my story. Okay, so that's the book. So tell me about quickly about the documentary. I know that you, you have a kind of a, a, a different process for how you're handling that uh, documentary. Oh, yeah. The documentary is called The Longest Living Jane Doe. And the reason why I derived at that is that one of the agencies that I worked with, which was uh, the Salvation Army, everyone knows that the Salvation Army was out well out before the 18, like early 1800s. And they specialized in, you know, missing people, homeless people. And I worked really close with them when I first discovered what happened because they were one of my thousands of people that I reached out to get help from missing in America, um, uh, uh, unsolved mysteries. And they sent me a letter back saying, oh, my God, like they vice president said oh my god like you're a living jane doe and that was back in 1996 or 1997 when i got you know got that information from them and you know i proceeded to live my life and you know i was okay with with that part so the documentary basically um is just another opportunity for me to share my message to tell the world that you know we're here don't give up looking for us. And I'm never giving up looking for my family. And because of the book sales, and I know what we've been able to do with the funds from the book sale, um, I, it, the, the documentary, that is my goal. My goal is to continue to raise awareness, but raise funds that's helping. We hear Greyhound right now um, uh, allows runaway, runaway kids that were reported missing. They transport them and reunite them with their family. Um, Uber is now on board with the National Center of Exploited Children. And if a child goes missing, they ping the drivers of the zip code where the child goes missing. So, you know, um, that's my goal. I'm no Ashton Kirshner with, with his human trafficking platform, but my goal is I've been very successful with the agencies that I support. Um, and I want to do the same thing with the documentary. So the documentary has been seen um, one time. It's scheduled to be seen two more times. And it gives me an opportunity to control it right now. I mean, that can change any day now with the individuals um, that I've been working with um, to get the message out there. But right now, I, I will lose the rights um, and the ability to allow my the funds to go to the agencies that are building um, the recovery that we need for the individuals that are rescued or reunited with their family. Closure. Even with NamUs, people don't realize Sometimes you'll find body remains on the benches and abandoned homes. You find, you know, a, vac a car um, and that the, the, those are donations from the public, from the you know community that help fund those forensics, you know, tests and exams, the kinship tests. They're a thousand dollars a piece. So when I'm donating the funds to those agencies and organizations, I know that I'm helping because of my story this mission will live through that process. As you went through the documentary process, did you learn anything new about yourself? I don't think I learned anything new about myself. It showed me why I was doing it. You know, it, it really had um, depth to it. It meant I was more, not more, I'm more in tune with making sure that I'm giving my truth to my children. I don't never want them to think that, you know, I didn't live full out for them. You know, like I gave up, like I could actually give up, like, you know, I am a homeowner, you know, I have a good job, you know, I have a home, it's, you know, paid for, and, and you know, I, I, so I can stop, I can shut up and, you know, just say, just keep living as this fake Monique Smith, 
you know, just be quiet and die, just die, just you know. But who who would do that? Who who does that? Who you know, when you have a passion and you're driven, I am driven to find my identity, to be able to reconnect with my family, and leave a legacy for my kids. And I'm not giving up. This would be my last question for you. If by chance there is someone out there looking for you, and those people for some reason or another, here's this podcast. What would be your words for your family that you've been trying to find so desperately? Your birth family, your blood. I would just say that I love you. I literally would say that, you know, I love you. I, that's that's all I could you know, of course, you know, everything else comes with it. I would love to meet you and, you know, let's reconnect. And how many kids do you have? Here's how many children. I, yeah, we would go through the whole little, I need a stadium for a family reunion. <laughs> 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 you know, that's, that's the kind of, you know, um, process that I have now. Uh, yeah, that's that's what it would be. I was able to do, connect with, I think, a six cousin in ancestry but it was so you know it's so far removed that we know there's nothing no no consistency there's nothing tangible that we can latch on to and make you know to say that yes we're cousins let's meet up and have this big kumbaya celebration but if i was to ever meet um, um meet them um and i'm preparing myself like i prepare myself that i may not find out in a lifetime this is why it's so meaningful for me to continue this because my children may find out after i'm gone like they get literally run into someone or like you said see the story and they go oh my gosh you know her, her mother looked for her every day until she died and she can say well my mom looked for you guys every day until she died so yeah i mean i've, yeah. I've realized through the the process of this interview i've heard you your emotions kind of come you know come in and out through everything. And I said that last question was my last question, but this is really my last question. Uh, <laughs> um, w- tell me what it would mean to you to have someone knock on your door and say, I know who you are. It probably would be the answer that God wanted me to receive, you know, um, because the pain while you wait runs deep and, um, it would mean the world to me. It would mean the world to me, even if it was the horror story, like, you know, cause some people got some relatives that they really don't want to be related to, <laughs> but yeah, I would, it would really mean, it would mean the world to me. It would, it would just be, it would be everything. It would just answer a lot not just for me for my community like people are watching my story um there are people who have inboxed me who have shared that they reunited with their son I had another lady call me and said um miss we stopped looking for my sister after 15 years and we heard your story and we continue now searching um so it it would mean a lot because it's not just an answer for me is 
that same hope that I talked about before. And it's, it's like an answer for so many other people. Soon after my interview, Monique's life took a dramatic turn. On September 16th, 2019, Monique says she got a call that changed her life forever. She says investigators told her that they found her birth family. Then on September 28th, the moment came when a woman named Veronica Conyers met Monique for the first time. Monique says it's her oldest blood sister, a relative who has also been trying to find her. Monique says that Veronica confirmed that Monique's birth name is Symboli and that there were a total of seven kids in her family. She also got details about her birth mother that we hope to share in the future. This is sound and video from the moment when Monique met the woman she believes is her sister. Emotions were high, and you can sense the relief in Monique's voice as she moves into another chapter of her life. As far as a response from Maryland State investigators, I still don't have one as of the date of this podcast. When it comes to my final thoughts about this case, the first thing that comes to mind is, I wonder how the woman who raised Monique actually got access to her, and what was the conversation between her and Monique's birth mother, or was there ever a conversation? I also think about Monique and the abuse that she says she endured as a child and how she's been able to maintain herself as an adult knowing she had no clue as to who she really is. Then to finally find out some information that can ultimately lead to some degree of closure in her disappearance and recovery. And on top of all of that, she can possibly have six other siblings. It's all just too wild to think about. And I have to admit, the resemblance between Monique and the woman who she believes is her sister is uncanny. The woman's name is Veronica Conyers. And right now, the two women are pursuing everything, including kinship DNA and birth records. And since their first meeting, Monique has traveled to New York to visit, and she's in the process of getting her legal documents. This is an amazing story, and I'll be sure to have updates when the final DNA results are in, and I am told that can be six to eight weeks from now, so stay tuned. If you have a story that you want me to check out, just visit me on the Intrigued Full Effect website or via email at intriguedfulleffect at hotmail.com. Until next time, be safe and stay true.
The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Intrigued Full Effect, Curious Cases, Disappearances, and Other Stuff podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the host. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The host of this podcast assumes no liability or responsibility for any activities in connection with opinions shared in the podcast. The podcast and blog associated with it shall not be used in any legal capacity or as a basis for expert testimony. Any copyright material in the podcast is approved by the owner or as part of the public domain. Music by Pond5.